Today, Dr. Ruth will teach us how we can emulate Joshua's faith. Here is Dr. Ruth to explain more about Joshua's strong and active faith and the fall of Jericho. I am Chris Oram. Be blessed. Okay, this is Dr. Ruth continuing here with the book of Joshua. In this session, we will cover Joshua chapters 5 and 6. So I begin right away with Joshua chapter 5. What is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, we will learn about the circumcision and the Passover that took place at uh, Gilgal, where the nation of Israelites was camping. And we will learn about the importance of that circumcision. So I begin right away with reading the ver first few verses. Joshua 5, verse 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. Exactly. God's miraculous work in our lives will shut up the enemy. So we see that happening here, how the kings of the Canaanites had already heard about the miraculous work of God causing the Jordan River to go dry so the nation of Israel could cross over. Now they are afraid because this is a true living God. Their pagan gods could not do things like this and they should be afraid, rightfully so. You see, your enemy is afraid of you because your enemy, Satan, knows that God is all-powerful. Please be encouraged. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated because you're going through a hard time. God is with you. Satan is afraid. Okay, we come to verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, you see, they had already crossed over the Jordan. So now they are heading to the promised land to go overcome the land. But before they could embark on that encounter or before they could embark on that battle, they had to do a few things. They had to go through circumcision. And this is so self-explanatory that I'm going to read this to you and then offer a few comments. Verse 2, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. Verse 3, so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites. In verse 4, we are told why. Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. Remember, the first generation Israelites had all died in the wilderness due to disobedience. The first generation Israelites were circumcised. Now, these are the second generation Israelites. They had not been circumcised. And we know that circumcision was a sign or a covenant sign between the nation of Israel and God that the nation of Israel 
are his chosen people. So while many other pagan nations practice the act of circumcision for various other reasons, and obviously there is some health benefits to this, we discussed all of this in the book of Exodus and and uh, Leviticus, we discussed all of this. But to the nation of Israel, the primary reason for that circumcision was a sign of a covenant relationship between them and God. And remember, in a covenant relationship, each party must meet their end of the bargain. Uh, God's end was to lead and to guide the Israelites into the promised land as promised to their descendants, Abraham, Abraham and the other patriarchs, and to lead them step by step into the promised land and to always be with them. And like we talked about in the Mosaic Law, the book of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, God had given the law to Moses so the Israelites would adhere to them. That way, as the nation of Israel reflect his holy laws, the other pagan nations can see God through them. But of course, it did not work out that way, as we will find out moving forward. So this circumcision was a physical sign of that covenant relationship. The role of the Israelites in that relationship was to obey God. Okay, practice his decrees, and then God would in turn bless them. That was the deal. But like I said, it did not happen because the Israelites would reject God's ways of doing things. So with this new generation Israelites, that physical circumcision was necessary for that relationship to be in a way sealed again or affirmed again. So that was why the second generation Israelites who had crossed over and heading into the promised land, they had to be circumcised before they get into that uh, battle in the promised land. I mean, it, right now the Lord is speaking to me about about uh, an, uh, an application. This is powerful because God is a relational God. We know we have a triune God. We serve one God in three distinct, unique persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit equal in divinity and essence, but yet distinct in their roles. It's a triune God. And God is a God who is after relationships, a covenant, a mutual agreement. God works in the confines of a covenant, in the confines of an agreement. Today, as New Testament believers, we have a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The covenant relationship we have today is us as New Testament believers and with God. Then Jesus Christ is in the center. You cannot approach God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. So in our current covenant relationship with God, we have to come to God through Jesus Christ, the only perfect, holy person. And as we abide, as, as we stay focused onto Jesus Christ, who is the vine, we are the branches. We obey God, put his word into actions, practice his word as we are strengthened by the Holy Spirit. God will in turn 
bless us with all his promises. So this principle still hasn't changed. <laughs> it's still a, 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 a relational God. It's still a God who, who relates to his creation, human beings, through a covenant. So we see here how before these people could go overtake the promised land, that covenant had to be reinstated. Okay, that is what is happening here. Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. I want to thank all of you who have supported us and continue to support us financially with your donations so we can produce uh, this uh, podcast teachings to bless many, many others. I am thanking you uh, from the bottom of my heart, and I know that the Lord is blessing you back. And if you have not yet uh, blessed us with a financial donation, please consider doing so, so that we can pay for studio time to produce more teachings and uh, reach many, many more people. Uh, to donate into this podcast ministry is really simple. We have a safe and secure website. Here is the address for your donation. Uh, the address is drruthtani.org slash donate. Again, drruthtani.org slash donate. And if you live here in the USA, you can use Zelle. And here is a Zelle telephone number where you can send in your donations. It is 909-501-9031. Again, 909-501-9031. We also receive donations through Cash App. Here is the cash app address, is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. And from the bottom of our hearts, here at the ministry, we say thank you for your donations. And we are trusting God will bless you back, even as you join hands with God and our ministry to advance his work. Again, we thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. So coming back to verse 5, I am still in Joshua chapter 5. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. Just like what I was saying, the first generation Israelites were circumcised, but the second generation Israelites who were born in the wilderness were not. So they needed to be circumcised so that they can re-enter or activate that covenant relationship that God had between himself and the nation of Israel. So that was why that circumcision was necessary before they engaged in battle with the enemy. Just like before we can overcome the evil one, before we can see any kind of deliverance in our lives, before we can see any kind of godly, lasting prosperity in our life, we must come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay, and today we do not have to do a physical circumcision. No, we circumcise our hearts. We willingly ask Jesus to come and reside in our hearts by faith and we trust God with our salvation. All right. So the rest of those verses just went to explain how the Israelites obeyed and 
it went on to explain what I just commented on, why that circumcision was necessary. So on your own, you can read verses 6 all the way through verse uh, 8. That is what that is saying. But let me just read verse 8 to you. After the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp, in the camp until they were healed. Verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Again, after that circumcision was done, verse 9 is just the Lord reiterating that I have removed the past from you. Everything that happened with the first generation Israelites is no more. We are moving forward. Verse 10, on the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilead at the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. So this was a perfect coincidence. The Passover was celebrated right there before they crossed, uh, right after they crossed the Jordan, rather. And for those of you who have not listened to me, we talked about this in the book of Exodus, how the the Passover was during the time when the death angel bypassed the homes of the Israelites and he struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians. And uh, thereafter, the Israelites left uh, Egypt and its bondage and they were heading to the promised land and they were heading towards the Red Sea. So you can go back and study that in the book of Exodus. Go in context, read Exodus chapters 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14 to refresh your memory. So the Lord had given them this ordinance. We talked about this in the book of Leviticus, that they should always celebrate the Passover as a way to remember how he spared them, but struck down the, the homes of the Egyptians. And then they were delivered from the Egyptian bondage. So here we see how the Israelites are celebrating the Passover after they had crossed over the Jordan. Verse 11. The day after the Passover, the very day they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Verse 12. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. How awesome. This is powerful and it has direct application to us. So we see how the Lord, we talked about this, the Lord has supernaturally fed the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years, supernaturally gave the manna, but now they had crossed over the Jordan. They've stepped foot into the promised land. They're heading to the promised land to overcome all of the other nations and the, the supernatural manner stopped because God has already blessed them with the land. Now the Israelites had to learn to, to walk on the land to produce their own food. What is the application? There is a time in our lives as Christians, as believers, that the Lord would really provide supernaturally for us. But a time, and during the time that the Lord is providing supernaturally, is 
not for us to take it for granted. That is a time when we have to learn to trust him and we have to learn how to, to depend on our God-given talents and abilities to be productive, to use our talents, to bring provisions into our lives so we can be a blessing to others. And a time will come when God will supernaturally provide to us through family members, through our church, through others, until we get to the point where the Lord is like, okay, you can step out in faith and use your God-given talents to generate wealth. Because whatever you touch, I have promised that I will bless. So you go out there and look for a job. You go out there and start touching things and trusting me. So that is the application here. God will provide supernaturally, but a time will come when we have to use our ability, our God-given abilities rather and talents to provide for ourselves all the while trusting God to open divine doors Trusting God that whatever we touch, that new business, he will bless it. That new job, he will make us excel so we can get a big, big, fat paycheck so we can put right back into his work. That is the application here. I hope you receive that. Okay, moving on here to verse 13. Verses 13 all the way to the end of chapter 5 is going to start to introduce us uh, about the fall of Jericho. Let me read verse 13 here. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? This was an interesting question. And I I am very okay with Joshua asking this. <laughs> he wanted to make sure that this man that he is seeing was not from the enemy's camp. But it's interesting how the Lord would respond. Verse 14, neither, he replied, but as commander of the chief of the Lord, I have now come. You see, we see a God who is fair, a God who is just. God just said, neither. Isn't that something Something for us to think about? God, God loves everybody. If you see God, when you see God, the nature of God is love. When you see God through the scriptures, when you read the ministry of Jesus, you just, you saw love. God doesn't give love. He is love in his core essence. And God is just. Why am I saying this? Even our enemies, even those who hate God, God doesn't hate nobody. But when people's hearts are open to God, God will reveal himself to them because he is just and he is fair and he wants none to perish. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? So we see here how Joshua quick, quickly recognized that this commander of the Lord has brought a message for him. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. So we see how the Lord has revealed himself to Joshua through a commander of the army. He is about to give Joshua specific instructions how to proceed. And some Bible scholars say that 
this commander of the Lord uh, was a theophany. I discussed this through the five books of Moses. A theophany is the is is the invisible appearance of God to a human being in a visible way that they can sense it. In other words, God is a spirit, but in a theophany, God would manifest himself in a way that is visible and tangible to the human eyes. So some scholars say that this was a theophany of God that appeared to Joshua because Joshua bow down in reverential awe. You have to put it in perspective. The Jews will never worship. They were instructed by God through Moses never to worship anyone, not even an angel. The only person that they were to worship was and is God who, who deserves to be worshipped. So by Joshua uh, respecting and worshipping this commander, that is why I believe, and most Bible teachers believe that many Bible scholars have concluded that this was a theophany. Okay, that brings us to the end of chapter 5. We proceed right away to chapter 6. So what is the gist here of chapter 6? This is a very interesting and powerful chapter. The gist is that we will learn about the destruction of the city of Jericho. And before I even talk about this, let's, let me give you some background perspective so you understand how and why this was a major battle. Okay, number one, archaeological data and archaeologists tell us that the city of Jericho, obviously it was an ancient city built uh, hundreds of years even before uh, the birth of Joshua. This city was extremely fortified. It was a city, one of the cities in the promised land or in the land of Canaan that many other chiefs or kings or many other cities were afraid of. It was very fortified. It had walls as high as 20 to 25 feet tall and the thickness of the walls were anywhere from 8 to 20 uh, feet thick. So back in the ancient world, this was a big deal to have a wall as high as 20 to 25 feet tall and as thick as 8 to 20 feet thick. And the roof, at the roof of the wall, they had soldiers who were ready to throw heavy stones and heavy objects onto anyone who was attempting to attack them and they would throw hot oils on their enemies and guarded soldiers stood on top of the roof to guard the city and it was uh, double gated it had double gates right around the city uh, which could withstand several months of attacks from the enemy so you see how this was an impossible fight this was an insurmountable mountain. The city of Jericho was very much feared by all of the other nations like I had already explained. 
And God led Joshua and the nation of Israel to attack and defeat the city of Jericho first because being that it was a very fortified city with a very solid and well-known military power and strength, when the Israelites defeated Jericho, that would instill fear on all of the other nations. So that was one reason why Jericho had to be conquered first. And as we will find out, there is no way or there was no way, humanly speaking, the Israelites were going to do this without God's power. The city was so fortified, so strong that God had to intervene and God did. So let us begin here. Now that you have that background and let me just say this, no matter what you are going through, please, nothing is impossible for God. We know that, right? As I have just described how fortified the city of Jericho is, it doesn't matter how impossible your problem is right now. It doesn't matter if the doctors have told you it's cancer and you have 30 days to leave. Don't give up hope. If you are a believer, trust God. Nothing is impossible. In fact, God specializes in the impossibilities. When you are humanly unable to do it, then that is when you have to know that the battle is the Lord. The battle is the Lord, as we will find out here. So, Joshua chapter 6 verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. I had already described that. No one went out and no one came in. The inhabitants of the city of Jericho were ready. They were afraid. So an extra security measure was in place. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, we see how God is fighting this battle. God is giving Joshua specific instructions. And, and, and the winning of the battle or battles, as we will see, is dependent on Joshua following those instructions carefully with wisdom. Verse 2, the Lord proceeded. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with his kings and his fighting men. This was so necessary, like I have just described the insurmountable mountain that Jericho portrayed. God really had to reassure Joshua that, relax, this is done. I've done this. Just trust me. Just like he is talking to us right now, regardless of how bad our circumstance is, relax, trust me. Now, in verse 3, all the way to verse 5, God is going to tell them, how he is going to do this thing. I'm going to read this because it is self-explanatory and I don't want to miss anything. God is going to just present, present a very simple plan. All they had to do is follow. They don't have to comprehend it. They don't have to figure it out. All they had to do was to obey. Boy, so applicable to us today. We just have to obey God and don't try to figure out God. We should not lean on our own understanding. That is out of Proverbs 3. Okay, I better move on here. Verse 3. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Verse 4. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. 
on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priest blowing the trumpets. Verse 5. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone's treading. God has just told them simply what to do. They just had to obey. Verse 6. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. So we see Joshua obeying God swiftly, instructing the priest to do exactly as the Lord had instructed him. Verse 7. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. Verse 8. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets and the ark of the Lord covenant following them. So powerful. We see them acting out their faith in action. They were just obeying. I just, this is an excellent picture of how we should obey the Lord. They didn't question God. They didn't figure it out. <laughs> they didn't go to talk to somebody else. Do you think this is God? They obeyed. Boy, if we can do this, we, we will see so much deliverance from God in our lives. Verse 9. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets and the rear guard followed the ark. What a display. <laughs> and another thing to keep in mind too, God wanted them to do this. And as they were marching around, the inhabitants of Jericho were afraid. They were confused. The enemy is like, what are they doing? Just like when we are obeying God, when we take the word of God, we put it into our life by faith. We just trust God. Satan is confused. Mm-hmm. Satan is like, what, what, boy, what is he doing? What is she doing? The inhabitants of the city of Jericho were confused, looking at the Israelites just marching around, marching around in their mind. They are thinking that they are just blowing hot air, but God had a plan. God always have a plan. Oh, my goodness. All this time, the trumpets were sounding. Ha <laughs> ha. Verse 10. But Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. Isn't this something that the nation of Israel, they were just going around. Wow. Can you picture this parade? Some of you may think that this is useless. But God's ways are higher than our ways. Please. When God tells you something to do, and you can verify that in the word of God, regardless of what people are telling you, regardless of how foolish it appears, please do it. Please trust God. Oh my gosh. Hmm. Verse 11. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. <laughs> <laughs> I just love this. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. And in uh, verses 12 all the way to 
Verse 14, it just went on to say that they did it again and again as they've been instructed to do. You can read those verses on your own. And towards the end of verse 14, it says they did this for six days. Essentially, they obeyed. They did it as unto the Lord. We come to verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak. You know, let me pause here. And this is something really powerful. I really appreciate the way Joshua did this. Joshua knew the plan. God had revealed the plan to Joshua. But Joshua did not go and tell the entire nation of Israel the entire plan. He led them day by day, step by step. This was all God walking through Joshua and the Israelites obeyed. The Israelites believed. The Israelites' hearts were open. They, they enabled this miracle to come to fruition because they took it step by step, day by day. They just obeyed day by day. And that is how God leads us step by step as we obey him. God is not going to present everything in front of you. It may scare you. So step by step. Okay, going back to verse 15. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Okay, now they're going to complete this whole thing now. Remember, in Bible studies, seven is the number of completion. So we are here now. The Israelites are doing this on the seventh day. They are about to wrap this thing up here. Except on that day, this is the seventh day, they circled the city seven times, number of completion. Verse 16, the seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Verse 17, the city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all her and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. We see how on the seventh day Joshua gave them that final instruction and again they obeyed. And then we talked about the prostitute Rahab in uh, chapter 2 and Joshua told them that only her household and her family members would be spared. And in verse 18, Joshua told them, gave them specific instructions, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Let me clarify here. Back then, during wartime, when um, a country or a nation is defeated, the, the, the army who won the battle will take their spoils, their livestock, their food, because the armies had to eat those foods, had to possess those spoils. In fact, um, it was actually an incentive for, uh, for the army to go overcome their enemies so they can take their spoils, their livestock, their food, their clothing, their gold and their silver, it was, a, it was a thing of pride that, hey, we overcame them and we possessed their property. But here we see how God has spoken to Joshua that the nation of Israel, the army people, were not to take the spoils. They were not to own the, the spoils or the properties or 
whatever they take from the city of Jericho, they were to devote everything entirely to the Lord. If anyone was to covert any of the spoils from the land of Jericho, they would bring destruction upon themselves. I needed to highlight that because as we move forward, we will learn how one man disobeyed and how that led to much trouble. Okay, we come to verse 19. Joshua is just telling them again what I just explained. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. So all of the bronze, the silver and the gold that the army of Israel was to take from the city of Jericho was to go into the Lord's treasury to beautify the treasury of the Lord the army was not to keep that as their personal possession. So strict orders was given by God. All right. Verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in. In other words, they gave that last shout the wall of Jericho supernaturally collapsed and the army of the nation of Israel went right into the city. Wow. Verse 21 is just talking about how uh, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, everything destroyed. Wow. That was, was a supernatural shout and the city was came down, destroyed. Verse 22, Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land. In other words, he encouraged them to go in and take uh, Rahab and her family to bring her out because supernaturally God spared her. God, God spared her because she had helped the spies she had verbalized faith in God, so her household and her family members' lives were spared. That is what is uh, recorded there in verse 23. You can read that on your own. Verse 24, then they burnt the whole city and everything in it. And archaeological data support this uh, Bible recording of events that the city of Jericho collapsed. Thereafter, it was burnt. Archaeologists have supported that this is exactly what they found. So you see, God's word is always true. We can trust it. All right. And um, verse 24 just went to say the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze were taken to the Lord's house. I have already explained that. And verse 25 talked about how Joshua spared the family of Rahab, the prostitute. We have talked about that. And towards the end there of verse 25, that she lives among the Israelites to this day, meaning uh, Rahab lived with the Israelites during the time when the book of Joshua was recorded. And as we will later found out, she got married to one of the Israelites and eventually her bloodline was the bloodline of the Messiah. We will talk about that as we move forward. Verse 26 at that time, Joshua pronounced a, a solemn oath. Joshua cursed the city of Jericho and uh, 
he said, this is verse 26 now, at the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay his foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up his gates. That was just a curse that um, Joshua pronounced against the city of Jericho. So in verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. So that brings us to the end of chapter 6. A powerful, powerful chapter that displayed God's miracles. God winning this battle. God leading the Israelites and the Israelites obeying. And we see the insurmountable mountain collapsing. So what are the major principles we have learned from chapters 5 and 6 out of the book of Joshua? We see faith in action. The conquest of Jericho, obvious. We see um, a relational God. I talked about this, the covenant of circumcision. All of these principles are still applicable today. We see a faithful God who was faithful to the promise to Rahab, spared Rahab and her family. So what is the major application here? Luke 137 in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus tells us for with God, nothing is impossible. Like I said earlier, Jericho was an insurmountable mountain to the eyes of the Israelites and to the surrounding Canaanite nations. But nothing is impossible for God. With the Israelites just obeying God, that city fell down until today. That curse is standing. Whatever you are going through today, whatever battles you are facing today, nothing is impossible for God. Don't look on yourself. Don't look at the fact that others have not overcome that battle. You magnify God. The moment you start to magnify the God you serve, that battle will shrink. That battle will pale in comparison. For nothing is impossible with God. The only thing that can prevent us from overcoming any insurmountable battle is when we take our eyes off of God and start to depend on, on our human abilities. Our human abilities are limited. When we take our eyes off Jesus, guess what happens? Fear, anxiety, worry. Humanly speaking, you cannot overcome battles in your life. As New Testament believers, Jesus, Jesus has overcome the enemy. The battle is won. Just like the Lord reassured Joshua that Jericho has been defeated. Today, all of our battles are won in the spiritual realm. The New Testament tells us that in the book of Ephesians chapters 1 and 2, you can go read it, the battle is won. Our job is to obey God just like the Israelites had to obey. Our job is not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust God no matter how foolish it appears on the physical no matter how nonsensical it appears on the physical no matter how people are telling us that god's way of doing things it takes a long time or oh, it doesn't work i know auntie susie there who believed god and it didn't work don't buy that 
You stand and trust God. You obey God. You take his promises. You meditate on, on those promises. You pray. You trust God. You keep your eyes focused on God. And nothing is impossible. Do you receive that? I hope you do in Jesus' name. Father God, I thank you for all the listeners. Today, I thank you that you go before them to, to open divine doors. Whatever mountain, whatever Jericho they have in their lives, in the name of Jesus, Father God, the walls of their problems are collapsing. The walls of their problems have already collapsed in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, strengthen them to look unto you. Strengthen them to look unto Jesus as the author and finisher of their faith. For nothing is impossible with you. God, we thank you for you go before us to protect us, to lead us, and to guide us into all truths. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and everybody says, Amen. So as you proceed with your day today, remember that God is with you, always, enabling you to overcome in Jesus' name. I am Chris Oram. Stay blessed, and bye for now.